What's up, Lions of Liberty fans? You can now support this show on Patreon and get exclusive access to bonus audio and video content, including Conspiracy Corner, Degenerate Gamblers, bonus segments with guests, and so much more. Head on over to patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty. My dad likes to say uh, he thinks that the most important thing I learned from jail was that it does not matter if you're the smartest person in the room if you're not the person who made the rules. Welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here's your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Clare. Hello, hello, friends, and welcome back to another Monday. Another Monday with me, Mark Clare, on this, the flagship original Lions of Liberty podcast that has been going for nearly five years now. Actually, next week, September 13th, which is a Thursday, is going to be the five-year anniversary from the very first episode of the Lions of Liberty podcast that dropped on September 13th, 2013, an interview I did with Stefan Kinsella. Uh, it is not my best work. It is not my finest interview, but it is my first interview ever. So if you want to go back and listen, you know, just keep that in mind. Give me a little leeway. But it really has been amazing to see the progress of this podcast over the last five years. Uh, not only I, I have to thank my improvement as a host, uh, as a podcaster in general, but also uh, the addition the incorporation of my friends Brian McWilliams and John Odermatt who have just done an incredible job with their respective programs. Of course, Brian brings you Electric Liberty Land, his weekly shot of comedy, culture, and liberty every single Wednesday. He has just been killing it lately, uh, whether he's doing interviews with hilarious people like Owen Benjamin or just getting drunk and ranting as he does oh so well. And of course, John Odermatt every single Friday brings you his hard-hitting look at the broken criminal justice system on Felony Friday. We're going to do something special for the five-year anniversary. I don't know exactly what yet, but if you tune in to next Monday's show, that is where I will announce everything that we've got going on for the anniversary. We do plan to do a special show for that. Uh, We also plan to have some discounts over at lionsofliberty.store so you can get some t-shirt discounts to celebrate with us. And uh, of course, we'll do something for our Patreon people as well. So we look forward to all the ways we plan to celebrate as we work that out. Stay tuned to next week's show. That's where I will lay it all out for you. Uh, But until then, we've got this week's show. I've got a great interview with a lovely young lady who is rising in the libertarian movement. And to uh, find out more about everything we discuss in this interview, you can find today's show notes by heading over to lionsofliberty.com slash 364, because this is indeed the 364th edition of this program. Without further ado, kids, let's get to it. All right, with me today is the host of Speaking of Liberty, a podcast she produces for the Libertarian Party of North Carolina. She is also the host of a new video series in conjunction with our friends at We Are Libertarians called Fundamental Freedoms. This is actually her second appearance on Lions of Liberty after she made an appearance on John Odermatt's Felony Friday show. I'm very pleased to welcome Miss Sarah Brady Wagner. Sarah, are you ready to roar? Well, I could probably meow. A meow will work. <laughs> well, I'm very happy to be here. A meow, a meow can sometimes kind of be the setup for a roar later to come. So, 
Meow. But it's all the same idea, Sarah. And um, you know, I recently found out about you from the We Are Libertarians podcast a few months ago. Uh, we were both at the LNC. Uh, we missed each other there. I didn't didn't meet you, but I did hear your conversation with Chris. And uh, I was really impressed by your just uh, your uh, I guess your go your go get itness is that is that a word um, to really you know tackle this podcast thing and and really get involved in things. And I'm always trying to highlight people who are really making things happen. And uh, that's certainly what you're doing. We'll talk about more about the couple projects that you've got going on in a minute. But first, I really want to know. How did this all start for you? How did you first get interested in libertarian ideas? What made you into a a crazy libertarian? Not that you're crazy, but we're all kind of crazy, you know? Well, initially, like so many of us, there was there was always the Ron Paul campaign. Comes up quite a bit. I did actually work on the Ron Paul campaign some in 2012. Uh, I went to George Mason. So his campaign was actually um, headquartered like in our town. Uh, turns out George Mason's a really big like libertarian university, which I did not find out until after I left, which makes me wonder how much of that was successful indoctrination. But um, <laughs> I also just come from um, my, my parents are fairly libertarian. I was raised that way. But what really got me into um, feeling like I needed to help and do something in politics is um, I went to jail for giving a cheerleader Adderall, which I go into much more detail with uh John Odermatt actually about right right yes but that was kind of the the incentive to go okay well every person that I've talked to including like the lawyers involved in my case and people afterwards uh, everybody's reaction seems to be well that's ridiculous you shouldn't have gone to jail for that Uh, and I agree (laughs) but if we all agree on that and that's not the case then there's clearly some disconnect there and that's kind of what I had uh, really wanted to get involved with. That, that was a really crazy story, and I'll definitely link to uh, to, the, to your, your uh, interview with John Odermatt uh, in today's show notes, and because that that episode was really just not really about too much about your libertarian activism, but about uh, specifically that story of you uh, actually serving jail time. And I, I'm not I don't remember if you still have a, a felony on your record. I believe it was even something called like a violent felony for for just giving this person Adderall. Um, and uh, again, I'll link to the show notes so p- to that in the show notes so people can can hear more about it. But it is a really crazy tale, and there's so many different ways that we come into uh, the the ideas of liberty for you it sounds like you kind of have a mix of them you know your parents sounded like they were somewhat libertarian growing when you were growing up and you got involved with the ron paul stuff and got sucked in with all that but I, sometimes there's just a real difference when you really experience um the other side of things you experience the sort of the tyrannical side of things and i think i gotta think that that really affected your activism and your desire to get involved uh, in, in, in you know a pretty major way it really did and it um it, it also gave me an ex- a chance to be exposed to a very a wide array of um people and situations i mean one of the things that was ridiculous was the amount of people who were just in on like it was common to go oh well they're probably here just on a parole violation like oh well, who's your parole officer is it somebody who's just a jerk and who will violate you because they don't like you and it's like wait what is what is this system that that you're telling me about that somebody who is you know relying on whether or not they have somebody who's nice not whether or not they're actually following the rules even that question about who your parole officer is kind of reveals something that why yeah. should that even matter if we have a fair and just system that sort of goes by the books or treats everybody equally yeah, my, my dad likes to say uh, he thinks that the most important thing I learned from jail was that it does not matter if you're the smartest person in the room if you're not the person who made the rules. And I, I like to joke that I just want to help 
put people in charge of making those rules then now. So how did your your experiences here, um, you know, between your arrest, your, your, I guess, sort of growing up a little bit libertarian in your household and uh, your experience with George Mason, which is funny that you didn't even realize that it was supposed to be sort of a libertarian school, at least I guess economically it's considered sort of a free market university. But all this sort of came together and eventually culminated in your current activism. And specifically, I guess it, it pro- probably started with your involvement in the Libertarian Party locally. So what did you what made you make that step and get involved with the Libertarian Party itself? Uh, well, I was looking into candidates for the 2016 election, um, knew that I did really was not a fan of the two, um, I would say, old party candidates. But um, I had looked at the Libertarian candidates had vaguely kind of looked at Gary Johnson in 2012. But in 2012, I got to vote in the primary for uh, Ron Paul, but I actually didn't have my voting rights by the time November rolled around for the general election. So I have never voted in a general election for anything other than a libertarian uh, president. But in getting, you know, looking at the candidate really quickly came to conclude that, hey, this is the best choice. And if I want to be involved, I want to um, help and just kind of tracked down my uh, local party. I kind of had to wrestle my uh, county affiliate away from the like defunct leader who was like, you know, he was a chair, but he wasn't really being an active chair. But at the same time, he was like, I don't want to, you know, give up the the affiliate, even though I'm not doing anything with it right now. And eventually he just kind of had to admit like, OK, yeah, you, if you're going to actually do something with it and give it a go, then I, I should probably just step back. So we got the county affiliate going. And as so often seems to happen, if you're doing well at the local level, you quickly get sucked up to the state level. Um, and I got an offer to help out as the political director uh, this year and started recruiting candidates. Uh, that's actually what we got the podcast started to do was to try and make it easier to recruit candidates. And it was wildly successful. Um, we recruited 50 candidates this year, wow. which our previous higher watermark, um, aside from there's the way the law is written, uh, the first year that we do um, – the first year that we are an official party, we get like we could just submit who we want to have on our um, ballots. But it's different from like the process now where you have to get everything together and, um, you know, we're an official party. So we just have a, a process. So aside from that, which I think there was a year we did like 28, we had a wire monitor work of 18. So 50 is way more than we can seem to handle right now, which is a good problem to have. You know, there's been kind of a big debate in the Libertarian Party that I'm, I'm sure you're aware of, where there's been this this kind of um, conversation about whether it's better to just have a bunch of candidates, a whole lot of candidates on the ballot uh, for the purpose of visibility, for the purpose of people always knowing there's these other option, this other thing called Libertarian, or to focus on sort of a lesser amount of candidates where more effort and resources goes into some of the candidates that either have, you know, more winnable races or races where they can make more of an impact. Uh, so having been someone who recruited, like, I guess, sort of a, a record number of candidates for your area, do you, do you, where do you fall on that? Do you think it is best to just have, especially because you did say, like, it, it's been kind of difficult to, to support the number of candidates that you brought in here. Do you think there is some kind of, um, you know, validity to the idea that maybe it's better not to just have as many candidates as possible? Maybe it is better to sort of focus on a, a few candidates, or do you think it is better just to have that sort of swath of candidates and blanket the ballots as much as possible? I think it's kind of a combination. And this is something that uh, I'm very familiar with the debate and I've talked to a lot of even the other political directors about it. And it, it comes down to like knowing what kind of candidate you are. 
So some candidates, they really do only want to run for that visibility effect. You know, they, they're really interested in a race where they don't necessarily have a high chance of success. But what they want to be able to do is, you know, they want to be able to be the person who's trying to catch some media attention and call out the old parties and try and inject some sort of element of debate, you know, over a specific topic. And those candidates are great and, and absolutely necessary and good for party visibility. But then that's very different from having the candidates who are well supported by an, you know, established county affiliate and who, uh, you know, are actually running a campaign that has a decent shot of winning. So uh, in North Carolina, at least, I've come to um, realize, as I said before, you know, we do have a struggle trying to support all of the candidates that we do have. So in the future, I've suggested that we really try and focus on building up the county affiliates. And then if we're doing any sort of targeted um, recruitment, that it be limited to those areas that have established parties. Because that way, if, you know, it, the only reason that we should be looking for a candidate to run in an area is if we already have enough people who can support them to run in that area. Right. But if we have a, someone who is in another area who's really interested in, in running as a way to kind of pull all of the libertarians in their area out of the woodwork, that's great. That's just a different kind of campaign. That's going to require one person to put in a lot of effort. Um, and it's different from a campaign that you want to be able to put in a more broad range of efforts that gives you a better chance of success. Right. I suppose you would never want to stop someone who wanted to run or discourage someone from wanting to run to to run, even if even if all they want to do is run to walk their neighborhood, knock on doors and get people interested in the ideas. And if three of those people get interested in the ideas and become activists of some kind, even that can be a victory. Uh, I guess a lot of the argument is, well, you know, on a, on a campaign that can really make an impact, some of those people that really can't could just be working for those other candidates. And I don't even have a strong opinion on it one way or the other. Like you said, I think at the end of the day, it probably just comes down to finding a balance and, and judging each situation by by how you can have that, that amount of impact and how you can actually affect change in your area and get more people involved and that sort of thing. Well, I think it's also one of those things that varies from state to state because the amount of effort that one state has to put into an, one candidate depends on that state's laws. You know, in our state, we can have what you might call a paper candidate, which is somebody who's really just running, you know, for the visibility, they're just going to fill out the ballots. But beyond that paperwork side, they can still put in their, you know, effort canvassing to help, you know, another candidate on their campaign. But that's very different from a state where, like, you have to collect signatures just to get on the ballot. Then, you know, everybody who's going to be running is going to require a certain amount of volunteer effort. Uh, but those, you know, it's different situations. So you got to figure out where to put your people. All right. So you're 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 becoming more of a libertarian. You're becoming more involved in the Libertarian Party, and even even directing, uh, you know, recruiting candidates, being the political director. How does that lead you to this idea to start the podcast? Actually, through the party itself, through the the Libertarian Party of North Carolina. Um, I've always really liked podcasts. I listen to a lot of podcasts. Um, I'm, I'm a nanny, so I work with very small children, and they don't talk to you, and that will drive you crazy if there's nothing to listen to during the day. Um, so I've, I've actually kind of worked in bits and pieces with like other podcasts and other like topic areas. But um, the more I kept thinking about it, the more I was like, this is something that could really benefit the party. And then Spangle did a podcast. Uh, he did a, a guest spot on the Jen Gray show, I think it was, yep. uh, where they just did two episodes talking about like how a podcast can be awesome for your state affiliate and how to sell it to your executive committee. And I was like, that sounds perfect. So I went and put something together and talked to my executive committee and 
they liked the idea. Um, they gave me part of the money I asked for. I got what I could with that and went from there. I mean, I like the um, I like the content creation part of it. And it seems like something that it could be useful in. One of the biggest questions I get asked by by fans of the show, even by past guests that have been on the show that are, are looking to start a podcast is, and it's a, a very broad question. They always ask me, hey, how do I start a podcast? And a lot of times I end up going and having a half hour, 45 minute hour conversation with them about about how to start a podcast. And, you know, I'll go, I'll go through these conversations with the same people over and over and over again to the point where I start to think of myself, I should probably just produce a podcast about how to start a podcast that I can just start linking to. Exactly. But, um, you know, as far as your experience podcasting, did you have any experience in like audio or radio or anything like that before you started the podcast? Or did you really just start from scratch? I podcasted when I was like 13. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> So I had like, it was, it was funny. I was actually telling as I like redownloaded Audible to try and mess with everything the first time I was like, I, I feel like this information is somewhere in my head. I just have to dig it back out. Um, so it was just a lot of that kind of like rediscovery process. Um, I've always kind of dabbled as like a hobby in, in various um, media creation and audio and video. Like I said, I, I did it in high school and college. So um there was kind of the end of that baseline information and, and anything you want to learn how to do with the internet, you can learn how to do it. I mean, I don't know. It, that's that. I think that's just something like everybody by age. I, I mean, everybody today knows that you can go and ask the Google machines, anything. It's kind of terrifying to see children do it because they don't know how to ask people. Right. They're just like, I'll just ask the computer. Why do I need to talk to you? Yeah, it is a strange trend, whether it's, uh, you know, how to do something or how to fix something. And it's a good thing because I'm really bad at stuff. So I can actually find YouTube videos that are simple enough for me to understand, um, you know, how to how to do a various number of tasks that I would have just gone around just asking everybody I knew how to do at some point or trying to find a book in a library, I believe they're called. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's an interesting point just to how it does change like our interaction, especially, I guess, you know, I grew up in the other world where you didn't have the internet, where you actually had to talk to humans. And, and you know, as, as we talked about uh, earlier before the show, you're, you, I know you're a nanny full time. Uh, so you're around kids, you're seeing kids that have grown up in this generation, this sort of relying on the internet generation. Do you notice any differences in in uh, sort of the approach that they take towards interacting with people when as opposed, when there is so much reliance? Lions on the internet often, or and I, I don't know how their parents are specifically raised them at home, but is that anything you notice sort of in, in your day job? Uh, well, you know, there's a lot of having to be aware of how you teach kids to interact with technology. Um, and that is both in what you explicitly say and what you're showing them. I mean, that's in anything having to do with kids. We all have heard when we were younger, do as I say, not as I do. Right. Um, you know, but, but you're watching, you know, it's important to, to model like healthy behavior around your phones. Cause if, if all the kid ever sees you do is sucked into your phone, I mean, there, there are some really heartbreaking stories about kids being really aware of the fact that their parents aren't paying attention to them because they're just sucked into their phone all the time rather than, you know, watching that your kid is out there playing soccer. But, um, kids from a really young age, you know, kid, internet and, and screens and computers are just something that they're born with like there is no moment where they have to sit down and learn how to use a computer there just have always been there um and i i think that we really just have to like consider that as a next integration and it's always weird because it's something that you weren't brought up with um i i don't remember who said it but i remember hearing at one point anything that 
uh, exists before the age of 15 is just natural. It's always been in the world and you don't understand why it would bother anyone. Uh, it's just the way things are. Anything that exists that was invented between the ages of 15 and uh, 35 is exciting. You might be able to get a job in this field and you can pretty, pretty easily pick it up. And anything that's invented after you're 35 seems strange and you don't understand why people would want to change this. And you're really not sure that it's completely necessary for the world and it might be harmful. <laughs> well, I just turned 38, so I guess I'm past the point of no return. Oh. Nothing will ever be exciting to me again. <laughs> that's new. <laughs> but, you know, it, it really it's just kind of that idea of having to realize that the way I interact with this thing is very different from the way that you do. And I need to not say that the way that you're doing this is bad if it's not having bad effects on your environment. So like kids get sucked into their phones. That's, that's a thing that happens, but what are they doing on their phones? It's one thing if, you know, your kid is getting sucked into a monotonous game. It's another thing if they're using it as a way to talk to their friends and they're really talking about like serious things that kids talk to each other to get through and they don't want to talk to adults about. All right. There's a difference between, you know, I, I'm doing this program that helps me learn math or I'm uh, playing Candy Crush. You know, it's, it's about what they're actually doing. Right. You know, and, and sometimes, you know, mindless gameplay is not necessarily an inherently bad thing, but everything in, in moderation. Sure. Um, I, I, I always constantly joke I need to write a book. I, you know, I half joke. At some point, this book is going to get written uh, called, I think the last title we came up with was Ambiguous Advice About Raising Dogs, Toddlers, and polit and Political Candidates. And that you can just give good, ambiguous advice that applies to all of them. <laughs> well, it's funny you say that because I always, one thing I like to say all the time is you have to treat politicians like puppies. You have to praise them. You have to, you have to scold them when they're bad, which is usually, uh, but you do have to praise them when they're good. I don't care if it's Donald, Donald yes. Trump, Barack Obama, anybody that we normally might hate. If they do something good, we have to praise it and we have to be consistent with you know what we believe when we're looking at children, puppies, or politicians. I think consistency is the key yeah. with all three. So that would be a really interesting book. Yeah, there's a lot of good ambiguous advice. Like, um, if they don't like it, uh, if they don't like something that they need to take because it's good for them, um, put it in something that they like and just don't tell them. Works for all three. Hey guys, this is Roger Paxton. And if you're fed up with the government running every single aspect of your life, but you're not listening to the Lava Flow podcast yet, then what's wrong with you? Check us out at thelavaflow.com or just go back to sucking up to the government. The Lava Flow Podcast, striking the root every single episode. This is Chris Spangle, and I am the host of We Are Libertarians, which you can find in iTunes, Google Play, or at wearelibertarians.com. We are a podcast that brings you all of the irreverence that modern politics deserves by examining current events from a libertarian perspective. So please, check us out at wearelibertarians.com. Hey, Liberty Rockers, this is Johnny Rocket from the Johnny Rocket Launchpad. Each week, I strive to bring you the best guests in talk radio. The Johnny Rocket Launchpad delivers weekly interviews of noteworthy politicians, economists, and activists. The Johnny Rocket Launchpad is bringing the party to the Libertarian Party and launching ideas in your direction. Check it out at johnnyrocketlaunchpad.com or find us on iTunes. Each show is action-packed, explicit, and a lot of fun. So join me at johnnyrocketlaunchpad.com every week for the newest episode. Keep liberty alive and rock and roll. I want to go back to the podcast and what we're talking about, because like I said, I've had so many people that reach out to me um, 
two things. So many people that have reached out to me about how to start a podcast, but also, especially lately, because there has been sort of a wave of interest in people joining the Libertarian Party, particularly Libertarian podcasters. And I've had a lot of people also asking me, how can I get more involved in my local Libertarian Party, in my state Libertarian Party? What can I do? Well, uh, you sort of did both at the same time. You got more involved and you sold the idea of starting a podcast for the party. So what would your advice be to anybody out there that's listening right now? Uh, obviously, we could probably do like a 12-part series on really how to start a podcast step by step. But what would your be advice for at least maybe the first steps that someone might want to take if they're sitting here listening right now and thinking, well, you know, I like podcasts. I'm trying to get more involved in my in my local Libertarian Party. Maybe this is something I can do. What, what are the first steps that you would tell them to take? Uh, narrow down your topic. So figure out what specifically you actually want to talk about. I mean, it's great to want to just talk about issues about liberty, but like what issues affecting liberty? Is it local issues affecting liberty? Because like that's that's a narrow that helps. Uh, and if that's the case, then, you know, reaching out to your local party is a great place to start. If um, you're looking at more like niche issues around, you know, maybe you just want to look at criminal justice issues. Uh then that might be a, a broader audience that you know your state affiliate might not be best for, and you may be able to go a different route or more independent route. But when you're getting involved with your um, local LP, my best advice would be just reach out to whatever level you can find and don't be terribly discouraged if there's not as much structure there as you would hope. Uh, and if there's not, you might need to be the one creating the structure. Exactly. And if there's not, then the good news is there's probably more flexibility in what kind of structure you want to create than you might think. Um, and again, each state has you know their own set laws. But if you want to be involved in a local affiliate in your area, if you want to be part of a libertarian group, it may require you starting one. And that's really intimidating for a lot of people. But there are ways to make that easier. You know, you can start a Facebook group. You can reach out and maybe your state chair can go, actually, there, I hear, let me have, I have a phone number of one other person in your area who was kind of interested too. You guys can team up. You know, we had a bunch of great candidate teams who, who got that way. They were two people who were kind of interested, but really just wanted, needed somebody to promise that they're going to be like, I'm going to hold your hand. I'm going to be your treasurer. I think the nice thing about the Libertarian Party is that even in places where it's bigger relative to, you know, the rest of the chapters or rest of the state parties, it's still really, 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 really small compared to any of the major parties. And it's not, it's all, I mean, there, there's no chapter, there's no state chapter, there's no local chapter that, that is, that has too much help. There's just, that doesn't exist in the Libertarian Party. Yeah. So if you want to help, it's often just as easy as showing up and saying what you want to do. And either you'll find people that say yes and do it, or I mean, you, you, you probably won't find anybody that'll stop you at least so you can at least just do it <laughs> yeah that's that's one great thing i i've heard it said many times but i will say it again because it's very true as much as you might hear people complain about establishment libertarians if you want to be an establishment libertarian all you have to do is show up more than twice and you then are an establishment libertarian and like you have some ability to 
guide which direction you want things to go. Right. We often hear about the establishment of the Libertarian Party, but uh, like you sort of said there, the only thing that makes them establishment is that they've shown up for every week or every month or whatever at every single meeting for the last 15, 20 years, and that's all that makes them establishment. They've been around, and everybody knows them, and they know everybody, And but they you know, they, they have no special magical powers. They, they didn't do anything that anybody else can't do. So uh, that would be my advice as well, just uh, in the g- general sense. If you want to see, if you don't care about the Libertarian Party, don't join it. Don't get involved in it. But if you do, uh, don't be afraid to, and don't think that there's something special you have to do to become establishment or to have influence. Uh, that might be more true in the Republican and Democratic parties uh, because there is really more of a, a centralized power structure in many ways. But in the Libertarian Party, that just does not exist, and the establishment is just who shows up. Yeah, I mean the only the only like superpower or edge that any of the establishment candidates might uh, or candidates not even the establishment members might have is they have gotten over the initial bump that everybody seems to need to go through where they feel the need to reinvent the wheel and like learn all of your really basic stuff like how the media treats libertarians and well what is the basic percentage that you can expect to get if you just run a campaign and you don't do anything involved you could probably get three percent but you know some people need to learn that firsthand and that can sometimes be frustrating for your first like three or four years in the party. Well, it's just like podcasting. I mean, when I first started podcasting almost five years ago at this point, uh, I barely knew anything. I knew that I liked podcasts. I knew I wanted a libertarian podcast and I knew I didn't have one or at least I didn't have the one I wanted. There were hardly any around at the time. So the only way I learned how to do it was just by doing it and continually messing it up and continually having technical problems. Mm -hmm. And uh, those continue to this day from time to time. So uh, that, that part never really ends. But of course, as you go on, you just take your bumps and you learn and, and uh you know now i'm starting to become the establishment of podcasting if you're if you stay around long enough you become establishment of whatever it is it is well you know and that's one thing i want to say is like i don't like the the people who are still like learning to reinvent the wheel and making the mistakes that they need to make at the beginning like those people are very important and we want them to stick around because absolutely going through that like cool now we're now we're all on the same page where we all understand the game we're playing uh, but it is also sometimes useful to like, I really enjoy that Spangle is helping me figure out the videos because I've always liked the idea of doing videos. I think I'm a cute libertarian chick with purple hair and that goes a long way on video, but it's not something that I was knowledgeable about enough about to really want to jump into. And he's like, here, I know this. Let me help you out. It's really helpful if you have somebody who's good. Yeah. How, how did that actually come about? How did uh, Chris find you? I know he m- first met you back at the LNC, and uh, but this quickly, I guess he got very excited about your presence and wanted to put you out there more. And I think he actually helped you get set up with all, all the video equipment and everything you needed. So why don't you tell us how that came about and what exactly is the focus of uh, this new series called Fundamental Freedoms? Uh, well, it came out through a beautiful outpouring of just spontaneous donation. Uh, within, gosh, I want to say it was in within within 72 hours, definitely, of the convention. We were messaging and talking about, you know, we really enjoyed doing the interview and we'd love to try and work together on something else. Um, and he had had the idea of, he said, hey, I, you know, I've been kicking around the idea of trying to get a um, female personality involved, particularly for videos, because I really want to get involved with the video um, realm, but you know, not necessarily something that he felt like he would be the best person for. Chris, you're so humble. You would look amazing on video. Come on. <laughs> I think he does. He's great, but you know, I I I do also appreciate the 
um, draw of I like I said before I'm I'm a cute purple haired female libertarian and hey just being female and libertarian <laughs> is enough to make people be like you people don't exist. <laughs> Toss in the purple hair and you definitely stand out. Yeah, well that's that's how you know I'm a libertarian. Um, so you know we we're just kind of kicking back those ideas and he'd said hey is this something you'd ever be interested in? Again, it was just very enthusiastic. Like, yeah, it would absolutely be. And um, he went to his uh, group, to his patrons, actually, and pitched them the idea, said that they needed, you know, X amount in of money for to send me equipment. And within 24 hours, I, I think it might have even been within 12 hours, it was fully funded. And he sent me the equipment and we were able to get started way faster than I would have expected. That's the cool thing about when you build an audience and, and when you're building an audience uh, for, for anything really, but I, specifically for a podcast, you're really building a community mm-hmm. and you find when you really build that community and they trust you and they like what you're doing, you can put out a call to action and get such an incredible response uh, so quickly because they've already built that bond with you and they know that they, they like the work you're doing. They know that the work you're doing is important to them and you've already established that by the fact that they are a supporter of yours. So once you have that community built, it's just really amazing to see what you can accomplish by just continuing to, to lean on them and reach out to them. I mean, that's why we're so grateful for our Patreon supporters. Uh, we know they enabled us to go to the Libertarian National Convention and record shows there. They enabled us to go to Porkfest and record shows there. I mean, we did so much this year that we simply would not have been able to do with, without our supporters. So it really is a cool thing to be able to, not that I can just snap my fingers, but, you know, I can put out a call and get and get what we need uh, pretty much, you know, if, if anything comes up. So that's really cool. That's how it came about. Uh, what is the focus specifically of this series? You're trying to, I guess, really break down fundamental libertarian concepts in, I guess, pretty digestible videos? Yes. So um, my my concept, my goal kind of here is to go through uh, almost kind of like all the basics of the platform, all of the things that there's a libertarian stance on or like a really strong libertarian opinion on to give a quick breakdown and an explanation of, you know, what is that? What is the libertarian position on that issue? So we've done a few on, um, I think the first one that came out was a on non-interventionism. Uh, I've also done one on sex work. Uh, we're going to have upcoming ones on self-defense and the concepts of self-ownership and free speech and just kind of the idea like where do these things come from? What do we mean when we say these uh, things? There, another um, portion that we're going to be working on too is a series to talk about just defining terms. And the idea being, again, we just want to give bite-sized ideas so that people can have things to have conversations about. So it's something that you can can start it with. And even if that's just something like, hey, when I say progressive, this is what that means to me. And giving that definition that allows somebody else to go, no, that's that's not what that means. This is what that means. And you guys can have a conversation about that and understand that had you not had that conversation first, you wouldn't have been able to discuss that topic and understand each other. That's the thing about all of these terms, libertarian, progressive, conservative, liberal, every person that uses them, including amongst libertarians themselves, is sort of using them with their own meanings in mind. And that I think probably 80% of political miscommunications, maybe more, is simply people talking past each other based on the terms that they've heard at at the beginning or at some point of that conversation. And that just sort of paints the entire conversation in a way that you're, you're just talking past each other. So any way to sort of break down and communicate, look, here's what I mean by this term. What do you mean by it? And that really opens up 
up a conversation that you're not going to get if you just kind of toss your beliefs out there, attach your term to it, and, and go full speed ahead. Uh, yeah, I, I like to say most arguments really do come down to just semantics, and it gets really frustrating when people get mad at you for trying to get them to just tell me like, okay, but I, I'm not disagreeing with you, but what do you mean when you say that word? You know, so often people get angry. <laughs> yeah, nothing drives me crazier when someone says to me, well, now you're just arguing semantics. Yes, I know. That's the point. <laughs> like, well, semantics is the meaning, is is, base, is about the meaning of the words we're saying. So it's kind of step one. So yeah, we probably should hash that out before we go arguing about words that we have totally different ideas about. <laughs> Absolutely. Definitely on the same page. All right, Sarah, uh, before we wrap up, I'm just kind of curious in in all these adventures you've had here of uh, becoming a libertarian, getting arrested, becoming more of a libertarian and becoming really active and involved in the libertarian party. What what are you the most proud of uh, that you've accomplished uh, throughout all of your activism, whether it's something related to the podcast or something related more uh, directly to your to your activity within the libertarian party? What stands out to you as sort of, I guess, your your crowning achievement thus far? Obviously, you have a lot of achievements to come ahead. Um, Well, my my proudest, uh, I mean, product from anything that I've done from our activism uh, is probably the interview that I got to do with uh, Representative David Lewis in the podcast, I believe it's episode three, um, it's Drawing Lines, we talk about gerrymandering. He is most famous for having a wonderful quote where he says, uh, my job was to draw a map that would elect 10 Democrats and three Republicans, only because I do not believe it is possible to draw a map that will elect 11 Republicans and two Democrats. Um, you know, I, I, I've told him this many times. I really appreciate that um, he's he's very upfront. He's, um, it gets good candor that you get from him. You got to respect the candor. Yeah. I, I, one thing I, I like to say, North Carolina Republicans do not hide behind any, like, you don't have to guess at their motives. They're very blatant. Like we've been having arguments about uh, a bunch of constitutional amendments lately. And they in court said, well, we don't think that the voters need to know what's in the amendments. If they really need to know, they'll just go read it. <laughs> Uh, we're just like, thank you. Thank you for just telling us that that's all right. We don't have to guess at that. Like I've got my soundbite. <laughs> yeah. There's, oh, there is a wonderful soundbite in that episode, which I will just encourage everyone to go and, and listen to. And hopefully when you start it, you will have to listen to the rest of it. Well, that's an excellent segue to you giving us all the plugs about where they can find your current work, uh, whether it's the podcast, Speaking of Liberty, whether it's your work with We Are Libertarians and uh, the, the video series, Fundamental Freedoms. And feel free to plug away or even drop any mentions. I don't know if you have anything else in the works. I know you mentioned maybe that that interesting book idea, but if you have any other projects you want to plug or, or that you might be thinking about, feel free to plug away on everything. Uh, well, you can find Speaking of Liberty and any of your favorite podcatching devices and apps, or you can find us at speakingofliberty.com. Uh, Fundamental Freedoms is on the We Are Libertarians network, which you can go on YouTube or on Facebook and just look for We Are Libertarians. I'm also going to be setting up a uh, independent page for the series on Facebook if you want to just like us there. And I mean, as far as the projects, I encourage you to check out your, your local LP, you know, if you're in North Carolina, please check out lpnc.org. Uh, and, it, you know, getting involved really is just as easy as sending somebody a message sometimes. All right, Sarah Brady Wagner, look out for her. She's got a lot of stuff coming your way in the libertarian world. I have a feeling she's going to be sticking around for a while. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Keep up the great work. Keep on roaring. Thanks. 
All right, friends, I hope you enjoyed my interview today with the lovely purple-haired Sarah Brady-Wagner. Be sure to check out her podcast, Speaking of Liberty, as well as her video series called Fundamental Freedoms, which you can find over on all the We Are Libertarians pages. And, of course, she's going to have her own page, as she mentioned, up for that one as well. Really great to see somebody who's come a long way, even since her interview with John Odermatt. Um, she's gotten involved in all these different projects, um, you know, promoting liberty in her own way. And, really, this is something anybody can do. It doesn't need to be a podcast. It doesn't need to be involvement with your local Libertarian Party. But there are just so many different ways that you can easily get involved in spreading the ideas of liberty, even if it's something as simple as <clears throat> just sharing this program with your friends <laughs> or just having a casual conversation over some adult beverages, as we oh so often enjoy doing here on this program. Folks, I do not want you to forget some very important things, such as to check out all the rest of the shows on this podcast feed every single Wednesday. You've got Brian McWilliams hitting you hard with his weekly shot of comedy, culture, and liberty on Electric Liberty Land, as well as John Odermatt wrapping things up on Fridays with his hard-hitting look at the broken criminal justice system on Felony Friday. And don't forget, we've also got, for a limited time only, our Candidates of Liberty show featuring Libertarian Party candidates across the nation. So please do hit that subscribe button, whether it's on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher. We also are on Spotify now. Don't forget to check us out on Spotify. If you use that for music, you can just pop over and listen to your Lions of Liberty there as well. Really, there's so many ways to listen to this program. If you can't do it, you just ain't trying. You just ain't trying that hard, folks. And of course, our Patreon subscribers can look forward to a new edition of Degenerate Gamblers looking at the upcoming football season as well as a new League of Liberty podcast we'll be recording next week also. So tons and tons and tons of bonus content coming your way. We're looking forward to it. We're looking forward to continuing this conversation about the ideas of liberty. Until next time, folks. Live long and live free. 